Someone once said that many of us think that the Holy Spirit is like a pituitary gland. We know it's there. We're glad we have one. We don't want to lose it, but we're not really sure what it does. Some people think a little bit like that with the Holy Spirit. We know we have him. We're glad we have him. We don't want to lose him, but we're not really quite sure what the Holy Spirit does. It seems it's much more natural for us to connect to God the Father and Jesus as our brother than to the Holy Spirit. So as today is Pentecost Sunday, uh, we're going to take a break from our series through Mark so we can understand the Holy Spirit a little better and appreciate him and even experience him afresh. For the Holy Spirit is a wonderful gift to each of us personally and to the church universally and he came at Pentecost. Now Pentecost is one of two great comings in the New Testament. The first great coming is Christmas. And Jesus came, the birth of God's own Son. Pentecost is the second great coming, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. Now we know a lot about how Jesus came and we think of an angel speaking to a startled Mary, thinking of a census and a stable and more angels and shepherds, wise men. And all this we find in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Uh, And when it comes to the coming of the Holy Spirit, we need to turn to Acts 2, where we'll spend most of our time this morning. And we'll start off in Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Uh, They are the disciples and followers of Jesus, about a hundred or so. Pentecost is a Jewish festival that is celebrated 50 days after Passover. So we get the word pente from the word five or 50, Pentecost. So the gathering of these disciples is about 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. And during these eight weeks or so, Jesus had appeared to his disciples on a number of occasions. On one occasion, he instructed them with these words, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, who you have heard me speak of. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So over those 50 days, it was the first 40 days that Jesus appeared to his disciples, and then he was ascended for the final time. And he said, wait. And so we're talking about 10 days. They're waiting. And we can imagine that since it's a major festival, Pentecost, the the, the believers, the disciples said to each other, well, let's get together, let's have breakfast, let's pray, and then we'll go to the temple and worship. And so it's early in the morning and they've gathered and then the Holy Spirit comes. Now, from these verses in Acts 1, what do we know about this expected coming? Well, Jesus said to the disciples, wait, it will come, the Holy Spirit will come, and he is a gift. You can't earn it. And in that passage, we also see that it's the promise of God. And we saw that in the reading from Joel chapter 2, where God promised to pour out his spirit on all people. And then uh, the third thing we're told in this verse is that something that Jesus had already talked to his disciples about. They've already talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now we see this in, in the Gospel of John chapter 16. Uh, where Jesus talks quite a lot about the Holy Spirit and how he will guide and comfort the disciples. 
Now, a word about terms. Jesus uses the term baptised with the Holy Spirit. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, we'll see in Acts chapter 2, he uses the term being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being baptised with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll use those terms as interchangeable for now. Anyway, the disciples are awaiting patiently. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Well, there's a lot happening here, isn't there, in these few verses. Who had heard of such a thing? The sound of a violent wind. What looked like to be tongues of fire settling on their head. And then suddenly the disciples were speaking all these languages that they had never spoken or learnt before. And then they spill out onto the road in such a dramatic way. And they're speaking these languages. And and there are many people visiting Jerusalem at this time. Pentecost is one of three festivals that Jewish folk were expected to travel to Jerusalem every year. And so there were lots of pilgrims from all over the known world. And suddenly they hear uh, the good news about God being proclaimed in their own native language. Hmm. Compare this with the coming of Jesus. Compare this to a star at night, a stable in the wee small hours. Compare this to shepherds watching and wise men travelling. With the coming of Jesus, there was no crowds and no fuss. It was a little on the quiet side, really, missed by so many people, but not the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's short and sharp and dramatic. It's loud, it's boisterous, very un-Presbyterian too. It's loud and it's boisterous and it attracts attention. And the people react. They're hearing the good news in their own language. Pick it up in verse 11. How are they responding? And they say, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. They are drunk. It's not the first and only time in the Bible that uh, the move, a great move of the Holy Spirit has been linked to people that have had too much alcohol. Anyway, Peter steps forward and refutes the accusation of drunkenness. It's only nine o'clock in the morning, he says. And then he preaches this amazing message about Christ, whom they had crucified, but was God's own son, risen from the dead, as the Old Testament proclaimed. And everyone who believes in the name of the Lord can be saved. And that day, 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus, surrendered their lives to Jesus, and the church was born. And there's so much to get excited about in Acts chapter 2. Too much to say in one message. Are we just going to narrow down to this coming of the Holy Spirit? And, and with all the noise and the flames and the speaking of tongues, there's a whole bunch of questions that start to percolate up. And so we're going to look at three questions. First question is, is being filled with the Holy Spirit a one-off event? Uh, the birth of the church was one-off. 
maybe this giving of the Holy Spirit, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is one-off. Second thing we'll look at, if it's not a one-off, what does being filled with the Holy Spirit look like today? And the third question, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Maybe a better question is, do I even want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? So let's answer those questions. Is being filled with the Holy Spirit a one-off event? Well, in simple terms, the answer is no. If you're familiar at all with Acts, the book of Acts, you'll see that a number of times there is the talk and the description of people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Even the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit more than once. And since this has direct implications for us today, let's spend just a little bit of time looking at how the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit more than once. So we'll do a bit of a rewind. 50 days earlier, on the Sunday when Jesus was raised from the dead, the disciples discovered the tomb was empty, but they had no idea where Jesus was. So that night they gathered, and Jesus scared the living daylights out of them by appearing. And they thought it was a ghost until they saw the wounds and they shared a meal. And then they rejoiced. And Jesus said to them on that night, that very first night, John 20, verse 21 and 22, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? They received the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. And notice there was no sound of a wind, there was no tongues of fire, there was no spilling out into the streets with speaking in tongues. It was all very quiet, wasn't it? So by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, the disciples already had the Holy Spirit in them. But they weren't full of the Holy Spirit. They weren't baptised in the Holy Spirit. And that makes all the difference in the world. That's really important. So that's the rewind. Now let's fast forward past Pentecost to another time when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. A few weeks later, Peter and John are used by God to heal a lame man at the temple gate. And there's such a fuss that they are arrested and put on trial, Peter and John, put on trial before the Sanhedrin, the same people who had condemned Jesus to death. Anyway, the Sanhedrin decide to give them a stern warning and let them go. So Peter and John immediately go to the disciples to report, to rejoice, and to pray. And then we pick this up in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So they received the Holy Spirit on Resurrection Sunday. Fifty days later, they were filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. And now a few weeks later, they have more of the Holy Spirit. No flames, no tongues that we know of, no wind, bit of an earthquake. Who was awake at 3.30 this morning? Did anyone feel the earthquake? Yeah, I've got three or four hands in the first service as well. I thought, gee, that's a wonderful illustration, Lord. Thank you. I don't know if I'll pray for earthquakes in the future, but anyway. <laughs> in that case, the room was shaken. So, so what are we seeing here? Well, we're seeing actually that the, whole, the disciples are being filled or receiving the Holy Spirit 
more than once. And this is really well summed up by Paul in his letter to Ephesians. And in the second half of Ephesians, in chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says this, Do not get drunk on wine. See, there's that bit of association with the excitement of the Holy Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in the original language, be filled is in the present continuous tense. I'm just going to get a little bit technical now, so bear with me. Present continuous tense. So really what it means is be filled now and keep on being filled. It's very clear in the original language that it's not just like be filled once and that's going to do you. It's not be filled in the past tense. It's be filled now and keep on being filled. And it's very clear in Acts 19 that Paul uh, went to Ephesus. People had heard about Jesus and um, hadn't received the Holy Spirit. And they had pr- he prayed and they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he's writing to these people. And he's saying, well, you were filled. You were baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know, a year or two ago. I'm telling you, be filled and keep on being filled. And that is God's instructions for each of us today. Is being filled a one-off event? No, it's not. The birth of the church was a one-off event. We'll never get another Pentecost. But being filled with the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, we need to do more and more. And you'll notice that in the opening prayer, the prayer of adoration and confession, I often, most Sundays, will towards the end of that prayer say, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And I do that very intentionally, and I do it based on this verse here. I think I need that prayer because I leak. Now, that is not at all a theological idea, okay? That's just how I feel. I feel, Lord, I leak. So much of the world comes into me during the week, you know? And you just absorb in our culture. And there's lots of good things about our culture, but, gee, there's a lot of stuff that just comes in. And I've kind of, it feels like it's pushing the Holy Spirit out. And, and I say, Lord, I leak. Please fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. So that's the first question. Is being filled with the Holy Spirit one-off? Certainly not. But what does being filled filled with the Holy Spirit look like today? I mean, I've been to countless services and conferences and things over the years, and I've never been in a situation where I've heard a violent wind or seen tongues settle on someone in a gathering. What about speaking in tongues? Hmm. that's reasonably common in some Christian circles, isn't it? It's quite controversial. Some churches accept speaking in tongues and some don't. And there are two extremes for speaking in tongues. One is you can only be saved if you're speaking in tongues. Have you heard that? There's a denomination in New Zealand that says unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved. Okay? And I'd say bollocks, which again is not a very theological word, but it's not true. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at the end makes that very clear. On the other extreme, you've got some people, and I've heard this, saying if you hear speaking in tongues, it's from the devil. And have you heard that? Uh, Equally, I'd say theologically bollocks. (laughs) It's not true. Okay. But it is controversial. And, uh, you you know, I could preach on speaking in tongues for for many a sermon. Uh, For myself, uh, I was wonderfully blessed with that gift. I did the Mass 38 years ago. 
and uh, it has been a wonderful blessing in my devotional times pray in tongues and that but that's for another message okay that's for another time what does being baptized in the holy spirit look like well the disciples experienced more than once but they're a little bit on the special side but still we did see that it was two stages for them wasn't it they received the holy spirit when jesus breathed on them and then they were baptized in the holy spirit a time later and that tends to be how it happens today We tend to have two stages. Most people I've talked to, and certainly my experience was, we receive the Holy Spirit in two stages. Once is at conversion, when you are saved. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in us and takes residence. And it's wonderful. Biblical precedent? Where's the biblical precedent for this? Well, let's look at a nighttime visit to Jesus by a Pharisee. Not wanting to be seen by other Pharisees, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the, in the, after dark. And he uses his most respectful words to Jesus and uh, says how wonderful Jesus is. But Jesus grabs the initiatives and uh, throws Nicodemus a curveball. He says, almost out of the blue, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus is a literalist and is trying to work out how he can go back in his mother's womb. Quite delightful if you read it. Jesus just says, Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Born again, born of the Spirit, interchangeable. When we surrender our lives to Christ, The Holy Spirit comes in, we are born again, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence. A little like when the disciples were breathed on by Jesus, and Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. So think back to your conversion, or when you cross the line, and there's probably a different story, in fact I'm sure there's a different story for everyone in this room about how they surrendered their lives to Jesus. And for some people it was very quiet and still, There might have been no physical sensation. It might have just been by faith, but maybe with a quiet sense of peace. That's when the Holy Spirit came in you. For other people, conversion, surrendering to Christ, was quite emotional, almost physical. You felt this burden just disappear. Others of you might just have been in turmoil, and suddenly you get this peace that you can taste. Other people are full of fears, and they ask Jesus into their life, and it just disappears. Now, there's all sorts of ways and experiences we feel at conversion, but one of the things that happens is that the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence within you. However, according to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we are to be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this brings us to the second stage, which I'll call baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, when the charismatic movement swept through mainline churches in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, mainline worshippers, Presbyterian, Anglicans, Baptists, and the like, heard this phrase, baptism in the Holy Spirit, for the first time. Our Pentecostal brothers and sisters have been using it for decades, but we heard it for the first time. And baptism in the Holy Spirit came to mean those Christians who had already had the Holy Spirit but we're now experiencing him in a full and a fresh way. And there's a biblical precedent for this second stage. 
We've seen it in the disciples. But as I said, the disciples, they might be a special case. Is there an example of normal Christians having these two stages where the Holy Spirit came in at conversion and then the Holy Spirit came later as a baptism, as a fullness? Well, yes, there is an example and it's found in Acts chapter 8. So what happens is Stephen is martyred and there's this persecution breaks out in Jerusalem and a lot of the believers are scattered, including Philip. And Philip bounds himself in the neighbouring country of Samaria in the capital, named Samaria as the capital. And he preaches Jesus and people are believe and are baptised. And they become Christians. And we pick this up in Acts uh, chapter 8, verse uh, 14. Acts 8, 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived... They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not come upon them. They had simply been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So you notice the delay. These people, normal people from Samaria, had surrendered their life to Christ and they'd received the Holy Spirit. And then the apostles come, Peter and John, and lay hands and then they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so this delay which we see in the New Testament is often how people experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. It's not exclusive. Uh, Some folk receive both at the same time. And not only that, of course, it's not just two stages. We're all the time praying that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. But it tends to be these two that are most notable. So this brings us to the question... How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And in the back of my mind, I know some of you thinking, I don't even want to know. See, some of us have have experienced some of the excess and the, uh, the wrongness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit when it was in excessive days in the 60s and the 70s, 80s. You may have been badly hurt because of well-meaning but ministries that haven't really functioned well. And you've been burnt and you think, no, nah, been there, done that, and, and that is just too much and you don't want to know. Uh, there may be all sorts of thoughts going through your mind and you might think, actually, I'm not even sure if I want to experience this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me give you an example, a testimony, which I think sums it up really well and puts things into perspective, by uh, Lloyd Ogilvie. And he writes this, I experienced Christ's unconditional love when I asked Jesus into my life but I struggled in the area of loving people, even my family. His spirit gave me a feeling of being loved, but my problem was loving others. I mean, Christ was out there as an example, but I had no power to express what I've experienced in hearing the gospel. I was sure I had eternal life, but I wasn't living it abundantly. Then I heard about the indwelling spirit of Christ. Some Christian friends at work whom I still meet with on a weekly basis over lunch, they told me the difference the Holy Spirit in their lives had made. And they prayed for me. And since then, I've been freer than ever before. It's as if everything in my Christian life up to this point had been like a low-burning pilot light without the burner going. It wasn't anything I did that set me on fire except to ask. 
And now the big difference is in my relationships, especially in my relationship with my wife and children. And there's, there's no more of this, I'll love you if you do what I want. My judgmental attitudes, which were with me since I was a child, have changed completely. I can feel what people are feeling in a way I never used to. I can see what they're going through and I want to do something to help. What a difference. How did I miss all these years? Isn't that a wonderful story? He had that warmth and that assurance that he was saved, but he was frustrated because where the rubber meets the road in his family situation, he just didn't have the power to put it into practice. All these judgmental attitudes that he picked up from a young person just spilled out and he was frustrated until he had that fresh experience of the Holy Spirit. And he uses this image that our lives are like a gas furnace and a gas furnace has a pilot light. And I remember as a kid growing up in one of the houses we had, we had an old diesel central heating unit and as a kid, you could walk past and you could look in the hole and out of reach, which is a good thing, out of reach, my brother and I, you could see this little wee blue pilot light. And it was just there. And it was really important because if it went out, my dad had to do all sorts of things to sort it out. There was that pilot light. But of course, when you turned, the, when you turned whatever switch it was and the diesel went in, it fired up and you could hear it rumbling away and of course you'd get nice and warm. And that's what being baptised with the Holy Spirit's like. Okay, we have the Holy Spirit, but we don't have his power. But when the Holy Spirit comes, we have his power. Now, as an aside, our walk with Christ is much more than the image of a furnace, isn't it? <laughs> okay, that's just one image, and it's talking about the Holy Spirit and the power, and, and, and the power that we need. There's all sorts of lovely images of a father heart of God and, and a shepherd and a sheep. And those are good images. But when it comes to the power of God, think pilot light, Think gas furnace, think fuel. And that's what the baptism or the fullness of the Holy Spirit's all about. And so how can we be filled? Well, the better question is, should I be filled? And can I say, as your minister, as your pastor, Ephesians 5 verse 18 is not optional. Be filled and keep on being filled. It's not actually an option. Okay. Now you may have little faith. So with your little faith, say, Lord, just fill me a little bit with your Holy Spirit and leave it with him. Your faith might be a bit bigger. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit, but not too much. That's a risky prayer. You might have a huge faith. We'll go all out. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and don't stop until someone thinks I'm drunk. Well, maybe that's... It's so un-Presbyterian, isn't it? <laughs> We're so conservative. My challenge for you today is, that today is to pray during the week, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. It's actually up to him to do what he wants with us. You might say, fill me with your Holy Spirit, but I don't want the fire and the wind and the rolling around in the ground and the speaking in tongues. But actually, that's, that's his, his prerogative. And he has a sense of humour, so be careful how you pray. But pray that you will receive more of the Holy Spirit. And you notice when I pray most Sundays towards the end of that first pray, fill us afresh, this is what I'm after. It's based on Ephesians 5.18. I leak, 
you leak, we need more of your Holy Spirit. Right, in a moment, I'm going to invite the um, music team to come and play the last song. And I've asked some of the elders, and we're going to um, sit up the front. And uh, if you would like prayer, for any reason, you're most welcome to come to the front. But in particular, I would encourage you maybe to come and share, and we will pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so often when we finish the service, we encourage you to go out for, for morning tea. Uh, some folk like to stay here and chat. So today, just uh, keep chatting. Just move that way a little bit so that we can have a bit of space at the front for those. Some folk will be quite shy and that, so we will just allow that space for the people to come and receive prayer. But whether you come to the front or not, remember my words. I hope to take this as a nag. Take this as a finger-waving nag. So it's pretty serious. Please, ask God to give you the more of the Holy Spirit and just see what he does. Let's pray.